Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Derek Van Riper here with Michael Beller. It is Friday, August 7th. Lots to get to on this episode. The Houston Astros continue to fall apart. We ponder the question, what if the Red Sox are just bad in this 2020 season? The Padres demoted Joey Lucchese as the league had a round of roster cuts. Rosters went from 30 to 28 on Thursday, so he was among the surprises. Does that mean that Mackenzie Gore might be on the way up in the near future? We also saw the Yankees send Miguel Duhar down, in part because he wasn't playing much, but again, with rosters shrinking, he was among the surprise cuts as well. We'll also take a look ahead to some two-start pitchers who might be available in some leagues, as well as a few possible streamers to consider as well. Beller, how's it going for you on this Friday? It is going good, DVR. Going better for me than Joey Lucchese. Man, I was surprised by that. I mean, it's a guy who's never really lived up to the stuff, but I would have thought they would have found a use for him on the team somewhere, even if uh, Mackenzie Gore, Luis Patino are getting involved in bigger ways. Yeah, kind of surprising he wasn't just a multi-inning reliever for them. Going from rotation to alternate camp was a little bit surprising, so I'm sure he'll be back at some point, but... Uh, Maybe it was easy because you think about your schedule for your pitchers, and if you pitched recently, sending him down now, bringing him back up in a week, 10 days, whatever it is when someone else gets hurt, maybe that's the way Mm -hmm. it goes down. But he only made two appearances, and he actually hadn't pitched recently. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on with Joey Lucchese. One of those starts came in Colorado, too. So not a lot of buffer there, but this is part of the shortened season. Teams are going to have to make quicker decisions. And, heck, let's just start with the Padres because – They have not said anything about Gore coming up, but they did bring up Luis Patino. Patino pitched in relief against the Dodgers uh, just a couple of days ago. I think that was on Wednesday night that he made his debut. Two innings in relief, gave up three runs and three hits, had a couple of strikeouts. I also wondered if he might be stretching out sort of on the fly. And I think one of the most challenging things about this season compared to a normal year, we don't know how stretched out the alternate camp guys are, and we don't know when they last through when they come up. Like I would assume the teams are plotting the calendar accordingly and not bringing up a guy if they're going to start him if they know he's only going to go two or three innings. And I also imagine that if you have a starting pitching prospect by now, you would have stretched them out almost to like 90 pitches, if not already to that point, right? You're not going to have a guy at the alternate camp throwing one or two innings at a time if you intend to eventually give him four or five this season because guys need a workload this year in order to have a heavier workload next year. It's part of the chaos of 2020. So thinking about Patino and Gore, do you expect one or both of them to be in this rotation when we're talking this time next week? Yeah, I think you're right about the the stretch out factor. And I mean, Patino threw two innings in his first outing, right? So uh, it's a, I think as good an indication as any that he was probably decently stretched out at the alternate camp. Um, I, I do think we're going to uh, eventually see one of them in the rotation. I would be lying if I said I had a good read on who it would be. If I had to bet on it being one of them, I would bet on it being Gore. Um, but I think that uh, we're ultimately going to see them in that rotation, especially with Lucchese going down. Like even if... Like we let's say we for sure expect Lucchese to come back, right? If he was going to come back as a starter, I just ha- I find it hard to believe that he would get sent to the alternate camp. I, it just doesn't seem like a way that you would handle a guy who is going to be in your rotation that you take him from the rotation to the alternate camp, back to the rotation with that stop at the alternate camp in between uh, a place where he can't uh, face you know real game competition and stay. Maybe he can stay stretched out, but he can't stay. Um, you know, competitively, mentally stretched out. It just doesn't make sense to me. If he comes back, I think he's coming back as a reliever. And if that's the case, then I do think we for sure see 
Gore or Patino in the rotation, and I would lean toward Gore. It just seems like he was the one who uh, has the the slightly higher ceiling and the guy who I think the Padres would want to get into the rotation if they can only have one in there this year. Yeah, I think the usage of Patino initially suggests it might take a little longer for them to give him a rotation spot, but even with Lucchese's demotion, Zach Davies was a guy that going into the season I looked at and said, he's there because he can give you four or five innings every time out, but he's not the kind of guy that blocks a top pitching prospect either. Mm -hmm. So I think he's a little bit on notice with Patino in the bullpen. I'm going to be curious to see if they end up kind of syncing up schedule-wise. I think we're seeing teams roll with a lot of multi-inning relievers behind their back-end starters, knowing that if that back-end starter falls apart, they have someone stretched out on the same schedule who can quickly take over that spot and possibly take on a slightly larger role. I was looking to see if Gore was available in any of my leagues. I think you know speculating on him where possible is, of course, a good idea if you have the flexibility on your roster. 0 for 4 in uh, NFBC <laughs> leagues where I can make roster moves. So I uh, kind of figured in that league especially, mm-hmm. a lot of those are 15-team formats. People probably weren't going to be uh, you know, letting him go just yet because he made sense as an early season call-up. And we're kind of getting to that point now. We're well past the marker for this year to preserve an extra year of service time. So that consideration's out the window. I keep waiting for the next wave of call-ups. Uh, Al Melkier and I talked about fantasy on Fantasy Baseball in 15 that Spencer Howard could come up on Sunday and start for the Phillies. I think once he's up, he's probably up for good. We still haven't seen Dylan Carlson yet. I realize the Cardinals lost an entire series uh, with the Brewers last weekend as a result uh, of the virus and an outbreak they had on their team. But you have to think that guys like Carlson and, and even Alec Bohm, a teammate of Spencer Howard in Philadelphia and Gore, that next wave of prospects should be coming up in the next few days. And as long as they were drafted in NFBC leagues, they will be available for pickup on Sunday night. If they weren't drafted in your league, they have to make an appearance first, and then they can be picked up. So timing is sort of key there. In a lot of other leagues, it's just wide open. So are you at a point this season where you're still holding on to guys like that in redraft leagues? Is it case-specific with some of the names that I mentioned? Like, How are you handling stashing players in a year where it's clearly been important to have as much flexibility on your bench as possible? Like, I ordinarily, three weeks into the season would have probably two, maybe even three guys who aren't playing if my roster were healthy on a seven-man bench. This year, I went into it thinking I could probably get away with one, max two, if everybody else were healthy. And even two seems like a stretch now that I've seen how things are playing out. Yeah, it's definitely a harder season to figure out in that regard. I think that I would still be holding those guys um, because... You probably shouldn't have felt different about them. I mean, you knew that this was going to be the case. If they didn't break the summer camp with the team when the 30-man roster, then you had to have known they were going to be down at least this long. So you should have known that you were going to be waiting to this point. So in positions where I ended up doing that, I am still holding them. The one guy who's most interesting to me of the ones that you mentioned, at least in terms of a guy who I would be most confident in getting the call ASAP and being in his team's everyday lineup once he does get the call is Dylan Carlson because uh, it's just five games that the Cardinals have been able to play and they'll get back into action tonight against the Cubs. But we were really concerned about this offense coming into the season. And in those first five games of the season, they showed us why. I mean, scoring three and a half runs per game over those first five games of the year. It's an offense that, you know, at this point, even Paul Goldschmidt, who is a very good player, is just not quite what he was at his absolute apex. So you don't, A, 
have one guy who you can point to and be like, that's our superstar, that's our rock, that's the guy we count on every single game. And then even beyond him, you don't really have a ton of supporting players who can be guys who carry the team for stretches at a time. So Dylan Carlson is someone who I think ultimately can be a player like that, even if he doesn't fully reach the uh, the 100% Paul Goldschmidt level, can be someone who is a guy who can put a team on his back for stretches of time. And I think they're going to have to get him into the lineup right away when they get him up. So he's the one who most interests me out of that group of guys you mentioned. Yeah, I think Bohm could be a little more frustrating with playing time if he gets mm-hmm. the opportunity because they're pretty healthy right now. That Philadelphia lineup you, know, you have a healthy Reese Hoskins, Scott Kingery, Gene Segura, Didi Gregorius. All four infield spots are full. Jay Bruce, capable as a DH. I mean, you look at the outfield, they don't really have a true center fielder anymore. I know Andrew McCutcheon was a good center fielder for a long time. He's more of a corner guy at this stage of his career. So you can't really put Jay Bruce in left and then push Andrew McCutcheon into center. I think your outfield defense... <laughs> I think takes, your pitchers would revolt if, that, if you did that. <laughs> yeah, it takes too much of a hit. And it's like, Jay Bruce is hitting enough where... Do you start the service time clock on Boehm? I know you've preserved the extra year, but you can wait until next season, delay him a couple of weeks, and then you get to 2027. Again, I've heard people say this, and I think it was Joe Sheehan on the Keith Law podcast this week. I don't condone this either. It's just the way teams think. So if you don't have a pressing need, and I think you can argue that the Phillies don't necessarily have that with Boehm, why bother at this point? I think Howard fills a greater need. They could bump Mm -hmm. Vince Velasquez into a bullpen role. I think Velasquez could thrive as a reliever. I think we've seen enough of him as a starter. He's just too inconsistent in that role. But what you said about Carlson, I think, is very true. This was a team that had a clear need even before losing to some players to the virus. I think he's an obvious fit for this lineup, and he could have a very prominent spot in their batting order. So he is worth being patient on. For Boehm, I think he's just more of an NL-only league-type player until he gets the call. I don't think you can stash him as easily in most mixed leagues. I picked him up in a 15-teamer in a league that has moves every Thursday night and Monday night, just in case he gets the call this weekend, but I'll probably cut him on Sunday. It was really just a cheap pickup because I didn't see anybody else out there who I was interested in. So a temporary stash, uh, but not necessarily a guy who's a permanent fixture on my roster. Uh, The other player who I mentioned up top, Miguel Andujar, option to alternate camp for the Yankees. He might just need a trade. I mean, I think he's an easy Mm -hmm. cut at this point. If you didn't drop him already, AL only leagues, maybe you put him on the bench because, you know, what he did in 2018 was impressive. I believe in this guy as a hitter. I don't think he really has a good defensive position. I think the idea of acquiring Andujar in a keeper league or a dynasty league has to be founded on the belief that the universal DH is here to stay. If the NL has the has the DH as well, Miguel Andujar is a much more appealing trade target. You know, he's a guy that doesn't have to DH because he can play a few other spots. He could play third. He could play first for a team. But having that flexibility to mostly DH him would certainly prompt some rebuilding teams to be more aggressive in their pursuit of him. Look at what he did in 2018, though. 297, yes. 328, 527. I mean, this is a guy who was 30% better than a league average player in his rookie season. And he would have been probably a three and a half or four win player if not for being such a terrible defender. So I think he's exactly the type of player who can get moved in a shortened season. The Yankees don't really have a need for him. You look around at their infield, there's not really going to be a clear vacancy for him going into 2021. We kind of went through this with Clint Frazier, but I think Miguel Andujar has shown he's a better hitter than Clint mm-hmm. Frazier. So I think there's going to be more interest in him if the Yankees are willing to move him. And you know maybe he's the kind of guy that they are willing to trade as they try to bolster the back of their rotation. 
I think you can make an argument that he right now is on one of the three worst teams for him to be on. And was, the other two would be the Twins because of Nelson Cruz and the Angels because of Shohei Otani. I mean, Miguel Andujar cannot play the field. I mean, you just don't want him in the field, right? But the dude can hit. He's just not going to get in the lineup when you've got Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. I and mean, it's just not going to happen for him. So I agree with you. I do think that he is someone who just needs a trade. It's probably not going to happen for him this year, but someone who could be very interesting in 2021, uh, assuming he can get himself onto a new team. And since you brought up the uh, Universal DH sticking around, I just want to use a moment here to climb up on a soapbox and talk about that for a second. I am seeing way too many people crowing about Oh, look at all the change, the difference the Universal DH made. DHs in the NL are hitting for crap. Good job. We should just let pitchers hit. NL teams this year were not built to have the DH ready. Give them two years. Give them two years of planning and being able to build for a DH. And I think things are going to turn around just a bit. So you traditionalists are still very wrong. The NLDH is here to stay, I certainly hope, and it will be here to stay for a good thing for Major League Baseball. Let's just uh, let's pump the brakes on uh, celebrating and crowing about the fact that NLDHs haven't quite taken off just yet. Imagine waking up every morning, putting on your clown shoes, and being <laughs> disappointed that you didn't get to see more double switches the night <laughs> yeah, before. Right. Oh, man, but Adam Wainwright hit that homer that one time. Yeah, I mean, Bartolo Colon <laughs> hitting a home run at Petco was kind of funny, but it's... I don't want to watch pitchers hit and be terrible at it only to get the occasional sliver of joy from yes. the random Bartolo Colon eye shut home run. <laughs> it yes. doesn't that doesn't <laughs> add enough to the game for me to want to preserve that. I, Can I, I I think the strategy thing has always been so overblown too. It has oh, it, add, it adds more strategy. It's like <laughs> no it doesn't. It doesn't it add adds more strategy. Like a, a marginal, maybe a very marginal, it's statistically insignificant amount of uh, of strategy added to the game. And let me also just say that the argument I always made against someone who called themselves a traditionalist is that so you really want to see a pitcher who's dominating uh, but it's a 0-0 game in the eighth inning and his spot in the lineup's coming up and it's uh, two outs and a guy on third. You want to see him have to get lifted for a pinch hitter instead of getting to continue and dominate in this game. Uh, that's always the thing for me. That's the extra bonus too that now teams aren't forced to take pitchers out of games for pinch hitting purposes. Like This is just the, the, the way that things should be going forward. So I, I hope it does stick around. No, my favorite part of baseball is when it's the bottom of the sixth inning and the scenario you described is, is unfolding. There's two outs, a couple runners on, and Brandon Woodruff is dealing, and it's a scoreless game, and Craig Council has to walk out of the dugout and tell the umpire that Ryan Healy is going to come off the bench to pinch hit. <laughs> That's my favorite part of the yeah, game. And right. then my, my second favorite part of the game is when Council has to decide who else on the bench gets to play in Healy's spot later on, like because he made a double switch, right? And then he gets to a matchup yeah. he doesn't like, so he has to bring yeah. a lefty off the bench. It's like, that doesn't... Doesn't uh -huh. add anything. It actually and then just you're, and then you're time. out of bats. And then you're out of bats in the eleventh inning, and you have to have let your relief pitchers hitting. Not only your starters, but your relievers are now hitting. Yeah, they, I hope it's here to stay. I've <laughs> wanted this for a long time. Didn't celebrate it as much as I wanted to because it's 2020 and right. everything is you know messed up. But yeah, Miguel and Duhar, an easy cut. Universal DH here to stay. Please trade Miguel and Duhar to a team that uh, could actually let him hit. And I think if you're in a deep dynasty league, he is a good trade target right now. It's fairly obvious, but I think he will end up in a situation between now and the start of next season where he can play yeah. a lot more one way or another. I believe in the bat and teams are going to see that and they're going to want to make him a fixture in their lineup. Uh, some more news from Houston. We talked about this on Fantasy Baseball in 15 as well. George Springer has strained his wrist. He did that while diving for a ball in the outfield. 
I think this buys Kyle Tucker some more time. This was the, the quick takeaway that I had with Al. We can dive into it a little bit more here. I'm like the Kyle Tucker bandwagon driver. I don't know how or why. I Maybe it's because I sat pretty close to James Anderson at the Rotowire office for a few years, and he's always loved Tucker as a prospect. And, uh, you know, maybe that's just contagious. But I look at Tucker and I see the power and speed combo from AAA a year ago 34 homers, 30 steals as a 22 year old. I mean, he was ready for the big leagues last year because he had a 2020 season in 100 games at AAA as a 21-year-old. Mm-hmm. Like, What more can this guy do to show us that he's ready? He's off to a little bit of a slow start. He does have a homer. He's got a couple of steals. If Springer's forced to miss even just a few days, but if he ends up going on the IL, I think Kyle Tucker has a much more stable path to playing time in Springer's absence. And I think if he, if he hits, he's going to replace Josh Reddick. Like they, they're only playing Josh Reddick right now because they've got a couple of injuries. You know, once Jordan Alvarez comes back, that obviously fills the DH spot. So then Michael Brantley moves back to left field. And if Springer's healthy, Springer plays center. So then you go back to the Reddick-Tucker job battle. But I'm still in on Kyle Tucker despite the slow start. Am I wrong for believing in this talent? Is there something I'm missing with my love for this guy, like just maybe blinding possible flaws. Like what, what am I missing? Why isn't it working for Kyle <laughs> Tucker yet? I don't think you're really missing anything. I think the reason why it's not working for Kyle Tucker yet is because baseball's hard. It's hard to be a young guy in the majors and it's hard to be a young guy in the majors probably this year more than any other year with the fact that you didn't have a normal spring training. You had this weird summer ramp up period. You haven't been with your teammates. You haven't been with your team. You haven't had this good infrastructure around you. He's also joining this Houston team uh, in tumult uh, of which he had no part of creating, uh, but still just, it's just a lot of circumstances swirling around Kyle Tucker that have nothing to do with him. So I would still be holding on as well. I do agree with you in that the Jordan Springer injury buys him a little bit of time in the lineup. Obviously, you can't take him out of the lineup now if Springer is going to miss some time with Jordan Alvarez still not quite back. Um, The one thing I would worry about just a tiny bit is that at least earlier in his managerial career, Dusty Baker had favored uh, veterans to rookies. He wasn't necessarily going to rush rookies into his lineups. Uh, Just uh, ask how long he lengthened the career of Nafi Perez. Uh, He was always the guy who was willing to to play Nafi no matter what. So that's something that I do think you have to think about. But this is a different season, and he's, I think, a different manager at this stage of his career. And you look at, um, you just look at what they have on this Houston team, uh, the fact that they've gotten off to such a slow start with the high expectations that they had coming into the season. I just can't see Josh Reddick being the reason that you don't let Kyle Tucker get a good full 2020. So I do think that more often than not, we're going to see his name in the lineup unless he goes totally in the tank. And if that happens, you're cutting him anyway. I don't think playing time is going to be the reason why you end up cutting him, I guess is what I'm really getting at here. Yeah, and if he gets dropped in a really shallow league, like a 10-team mixed league, I think he's a, a must-add sort of player in that format. You just don't find players with that power and speed combination on the wire very often. I, I know the Astros don't run a ton, but their pitching is in shambles. I mean, Ryan Presley blew a save on Thursday night. Roberto Ozuna probably needs Tommy John surgery. I think he's getting a second opinion. Haven't seen if that's been, uh, if that's taken place yet. So you, know, you look at all those things. You look at Brad Peacock being hurt. You look at Chris Davinsky being hurt. You look at this. This is a team that's just completely decimated Justin in Verlander. the bullpen. Verlander's down. Urquidy's still not back from the virus. Like they have had problems all over the roster, virus related, injury related, all of the above. And you know, I wonder. 
How safe is Ryan Presley? You think about Dusty's past handling of veterans. I don't think he has a great alternative. As I look at their bullpen, it's a lot of guys that, frankly, I don't know anything about. And, you know, you look at Josh James is more of a multi-inning guy. I think Blake Taylor's been really good so far this season. So based on performance, maybe he's the next guy up if they were to make a change with Presley. But I don't think one blown save is enough to take the job away from a guy that has the skills to be a top-five closer. So I am going to be patient with Presley and I'm going to keep a close eye on how things are managed around him the next time there's a save opportunity because I think there's so little clarity with who is in what role. Andre Scrub, I think, was the guy that finished the seventh and pitched the eighth last night. I couldn't tell you anything about Andre Scrub. You know, Enoli <laughs> Paredes is in that pen. Nivaldo Rodriguez, Humberto Castellanos, Carlos Santabria, Brandon Bailey, Cy Sneed. I got nothing on most of those guys. Like, it's weird that this team took the Nationals to seven games in the World Series last year, and they have almost a no-name bullpen right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on Ryan Presley, though. Uh, go back to 2018, 2-5-4 ERA, 1-1-1 whip, 101 strikeouts in 71 innings, 2019, 2-3-2 ERA, 0.9 whip, and 72 strikeouts in 54 innings. Ryan Presley's going to be fine. I'm not concerned about that. But it is crazy that behind him, there is no one that you can trust in this pen. That's wild, and this is going to be a team that, I mean, wouldn't it be crazy if in a 16-team playoff season the Houston Astros didn't make it? It certainly feels possible with the way they've started and the way this pitching staff looks right now top to bottom. Let's move on to the Red Sox for a moment. It just kind of just hit me this morning that maybe this team is just bad. Like I, I thought it was only the starting rotation. They're 4-8. and eight. It's plenty of time to bounce back. All it's going to take to get into the postseason this year is basically a 500 record. So For sure. Their season's not over by any stretch of the imagination, but they've got a few guys struggling. Rafael Devers is off to a bad start. Talked to Eno about that on Rates and Barrels. He's swinging at a ton of pitches outside the zone right now. You look around this depth chart, Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, those guys should be rocks. I think a lot of people liked Alex Verdugo. Christian Vasquez had a breakout behind the plate last year. They have a good core. I think the offense should at least be a league average offense, if not a tick above. But you look at the flaws they have with that pitching staff. A slow start for them is something they really couldn't afford. I don't know what to make of them. Like, Are they just actually a bad team now? Are they actually a team you could occasionally stream against a little bit? Maybe in the right circumstances? It's not necessarily like a, a Kansas City or a Detroit situation. But I just wonder if Boston as a matchup is one that we don't need to fear quite as much with things really kind of going haywire there. I think they are a bad team. I mean, you know that. You can remember back to our um, wins draft that you, me, and Al did right before the start of the season, and I uh, put together our rundown with every team's win over under, and I was very, uh, you know, just straightforward about it, put the teams in, put their win over under, that was it, except next to the Red Sox 31 and a half, I put LOL in parentheses, because I just thought that that was a a joke, that there's no way they were going to get anywhere near 31 wins. I don't know if they'll get anywhere near, you know, 28 wins, so uh, I do think this is a bad team. I still think that it's not one you're necessarily going to want to aggressively stream against. I think they're in the stream discussion where they haven't been um, in in quite some time. But I I would still hesitate to stream against them aggressively just because even with Devers' slow start to the season, you still have three pretty big bats in the middle of that order with him, 
JDM, and Xander Bogarts. I mean, those guys are still going to hit. Xander Bogarts uh, is actually swinging a pretty hot bat right now. So those three guys, and then some decent supporting pieces, they're still going to hit enough, but team-wide, I think this is a really bad team. And then beyond those three, there's not enough here that scares me that I'm going to be avoiding them. So again, they're in the stream discussion, but they're not quite a team that it's, you know, auto, oh yeah, Red Sox on the schedule, let's get that pitcher in my lineup. I mean, Andrew Benintendi striking out just over 30% of the time right now. Mm -hmm. Devers above 30%. Uh, All of Jackie Bradley Jr., J.D., Verdugo, Devers, and Benintendi are below league average right now in terms of WRC+. J.D. Martinez is one of the more stable hitters in the league, so I'm very surprised that he's off to this kind of start. I think he'll be fine, but... Yeah, it's scary right now with this team. They had to out-hit their pitching, and they're slumping at the plate right away this season. So definitely thinking about them as a a possible streaming target, depending on how things play out in the next uh, couple of weeks especially. Let's talk about some two-star pitchers for the upcoming week. A look ahead. We don't really get to these guys as much in the ads and drops column Mm -hmm. on the Sunday waiver episode, so it's good to kind of get ahead of them now on a Friday. Uh, Some pretty clear-cut guys that I'm going to use – for two start weeks. Lance McCullers probably isn't available a lot of places, but he's got a great setup. He's got the Giants and the Mariners at home. I know McCullers got just crushed his last time out. Do you have any reason to not use Lance McCullers in those two starts? Is there anything else that you've seen that would give you some pause? Absolutely not. Full confidence, get Lance McCullers out there. Um, yeah, he's a guy who I think is he's going to get roughed up every now and again because uh, the fat, you know, if, hitters these days can gear up for for heat right and so he's inconsistent enough with his secondary stuff that when it's not there the heat's going to get knocked around but when it is there dude's electric so uh, against these two teams I mean I would be I would be trotting him out there with confidence even if he were facing two uh, strong offenses but to be facing San Francisco and Seattle feel great about him he's definitely out there for me yeah, I think the matchups are soft enough where even if he's not quite the guy we expect him to be coming into the season I want those matchups for less talented pitchers than McCullers at his best. So taking that flyer, if he's available anywhere, obviously pick him up, but um, would not hesitate to use him with those two home starts being as favorable as they are. I think one guy who is available in a decent number of leagues still is Tyler Molly. He gets two at home against the Royals and the Pirates. Now the Royals are probably at best kind of a league average offense. I don't think they're going to strike out that much. So that's maybe one thing to think about as you consider matchups against them, but that's a great two-start week, and I think Molly's in this rotation for good. I think he's better than Wade Miley. I think it was kind of weird that they even had Miley in the rotation over Tyler Molly to begin the season. Wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being one of the better early season pickups among starting pitchers. Bella, this is an organization that we trust. It's a good team. I think there's a lot to like here. DVR, take a little bit more of a victory lap. You've been on this guy for months. You're nah, the one who I mean, turned me on to him. I've got him on a couple of teams literally because of you, so thank you. I agree with you. He is definitely in the rotation for good, easily a better pitcher than Wade Miley, and hey, it lets the it lets the um the Reds get a little bit more lefty in their uh, in their bullpen if you use if you move Wade Miley there. It's something that uh, I think they could definitely use and uh you know, with the three batter minimum get another lefty out there. It's definitely not a bad thing for them, but uh, Tyler Molly has looked excellent, and uh, another guy who I think is coming into the circle of trust in that he doesn't need a Casey Pittsburgh week to be someone who you're trusting. You'll take the Casey Pittsburgh week, of course, but this guy I think is showing to us that he doesn't need these light matchups 
to be someone who you want in your lineup, but definitely one of the early winners of this 2020 season. He looks great, and I don't think there's any reason to think it's going to turn around in any significant way for him this year. Velo up a little bit, too. We've seen plenty of guys lose velocity, but Tyler Molly up at 94 miles per hour with the four-seamer. That's the fastest we've ever seen that pitch during his time in the big leagues. Throwing a slider 26% of the time, and that's worked really well for him. That's a great way for him to get some whiffs. So uh, a lot to like as it pertains to Tyler Molly at this point. Also in the yup category on the rundown for two-star pitchers, Randy Dobnik, who I think of these three pitchers is easily the least intimidating in terms of stuff. I think Dobnik is he's very crafty in that he's got such the unusual delivery and it just it doesn't make a ton of sense, but it works. It's just so unique that hitters just don't see him that well, especially right-handed hitters. I look at the matchup at Milwaukee. That one scares me a little bit ordinarily, but they're probably still going to be down Ryan Braun at the beginning of the week, so... There's one key right-handed bat who won't be playing, and this is a Milwaukee lineup that has been striking out a ton. I think even when they're going to be finding their stride, they will whiff. They will have swing and miss in that lineup throughout this season. Versus Kansas City for the second one kind of seals the deal for me. Is there anything about Dobnik that I should be more careful with? I know the velocity is not great, but I think he's got a game plan that generally works really well. Clearly the ratios through three starts are not sustainable. Uh, 0.60 ERA <laughs> to 0.87 WHIP. Yeah, probably. He's not, not gonna. He's not gonna get a lot of strikeouts. <laughs> like that's not ever really gonna be part of his game. I just think he's a good bet here to get at least one win and to provide decent ratios over a pretty high volume of innings with those two matchups. It's an attractive week. It's an attractive matchup week for him for sure. So I, uh, I'm with you. I don't think there's anything that you're overstating here. Not a guy who you're gonna want to trust and trot out for every single one of his outings, but these are two teams that uh, we're looking at maybe an average, slightly above average Milwaukee offense, although they do usually hit the ball a little bit better when they get back at Miller Park, and then um, and then a Kansas City offense that we're definitely not afraid of. You love the Minnesota team behind him. You love the Minnesota offense behind him, a team that you're always going to trust to put up some runs. And like you said with Tyler Molly, like we've said a lot with this Minnesota team, a pitching infrastructure that we trust a lot. So you would expect Dobnik, like if Dobnik were if you take the league average pitching infrastructure, Minnesota is so comfortably above that that it's elevating Dobnik's game to a point that you have to feel very good about him when he has two matchups like these. Let's move on to the maybe column. Uh, Dakota Hudson heads up the list of maybes. Home against the Pirates, on the road against the White Sox. I think you and I have different opinions of the White Sox lineup. I think they're extremely talented. Uh, saw them a lot this week, of course, with the home-and-home home series with the Brewers. I look at the results so far, a 120 WRC+. plus. That's usually a matchup to avoid, but I think it's counterweighted enough by what might be the league's worst offense in Pittsburgh where I'm willing to take on the risk of the second start in order to get the first one in leagues with weekly lineup changes. Are you comfortable throwing Dakota Hudson in those two matchups? I am, for exactly the reason you said. I think you're going to be playing with house money by the time you get into that White Sox start. So long as he doesn't just get absolutely lit up by the White Sox, any uh, losses you might take there, and that's you know making an assumption. Maybe he uh, still uh, lights up the White Sox, too. I mean, that could be a I mean, that team does strike out a lot, so he could still have a good, useful outing against the White Sox. But I think you're going to get so many gains in Pittsburgh that it's worth taking on the risk of the White Sox. And if you're looking for a silver lining with that White Sox matchup, you might not have Tim Anderson back just yet for the White Sox in that game. So one of their better bets could be out of the lineup. He could be back from the I.L. by then, however. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at what they've done so far. It's impressive. And Luis Roberts looked really good. Yohan Moncada's hitting to start the season. Eloy Jimenez looks like he's taking a step forward this year. Jose Abreu doing typical Jose Abreu things. They haven't got a lot of Yasmani Grandal yet. They just got Nomar Mazara back from an injury this week. I think he got hit by a pitch on Thursday, so he's sort of day-to-day right now. But they have the pieces. They did lose Nick Madrigal, too, this week. So mm-hmm. the bottom and, end of the lineup might not be strong. also day-to-day. Yeah, so they're, they're a little dinged up right now. And there is a decent amount of swing and miss. Uh, as good as that team is, I think that's one area where they can kind of prop up a pitcher a little bit even though they're certainly capable of doing some damage. It's a tough group of maybes overall. Uh, Rick Porcello draws the Nationals at home and the Phillies on the road. I think for Porcello, I saw him make a Sunday night start. I want to say it was the first Sunday night of the regular season, and that probably scared a lot of people off. It was against the Braves, and he didn't pitch well. But with the Mets getting out of Boston, he was actually one of those guys that in deep leagues, I thought he made some sense as far as someone you'd want to take a flyer on. Came out last time against the Nats on the road, went seven innings, only allowed one run on five hits and struck out four. What do you think about these two matchups? Good enough to use Porcello, or is it like 15-team mixed and NL only leagues only for this two-start week? Yeah, I think I'm still more in the latter with Porcello. Remind me, was Juan Soto back when he made that start against Washington, or was Juan Soto still out of the lineup? I think that was Soto's debut. The fifth was Wednesday. I think that was the first game Soto played, so Soto was there. Okay. Still feels like a tough matchup for me to, uh, or a tough set of matchups for me to really get fully on board with Porcello. So I think I'm in that, I'm in that 15 team um, range for Porcello. And you're right. Uh, Soto was back in, hey, Soto went two for four in that game with an RBI. Struck out twice. But, uh, you know, Juan Soto, he's that, he's like the sort of guy who just, I mean, baseball is this game of individuals that we cobble together to make into a team sport. And he just, the effect that he has on a team when you throw that bat in the middle of the lineup, it just makes everyone around him that much better, that much more dangerous. So that that matchup scares me a little bit with him back in the lineup and healthy. Uh, so I think in general, I'm avoiding Rick Porcello for this two-start turn. All right, same matchups, but flipped in order. Alex Cobb on the road in Philly and then home against the Nationals. Cobb, 15 Ks in three starts over 14 and a third innings. Looks like he's got the thing working yet again. Pitched really well against Miami last time out. Beat up on the uh, weakened Boston lineup in his first start of the year way back on July 25th and held his own in a shorter start against the Rays. Went four innings, only gave up a couple of runs, but got out of there before uh, taking on a lot of damage in his second start of the season. What's your trust level in Alex Cobb? I mean, I think if if Porcello's at least on the radar, skills-wise, Cobb's actually a little more interesting because I think he can miss a few more bats. Yeah, that's exactly the reason why I would feel more comfortable starting Cobb. I still think it could get ugly for him, but because of his strikeout ability, I'm willing to roll the dice uh, more often than not with him in these two outings. He's still probably going to give you strikeouts. So as long as you avoid the blow-up outing, then he's still going to contribute to the bottom line in a positive way. You're going to get a net gain, I think, out of Alex Cobb. A much better chance of getting a net gain out of him than you have out of Porcello, and it is all because of those strikeouts. It makes a huge difference. Cannot be overstated just how important that is. So uh, Cobb is someone who I would lean toward. Porcello is someone who I would lean against, and neither of those decisions that I would make. I'm not going to be out here pretending that either of those is a slam dunk. I just think the matchups are hard enough that Porcello's lack of strikeout stuff makes him uh, a guy who I would bench. Cobb's uh, plus strikeout stuff makes him someone who I am willing to take the risk of the matchups on. 
And I think with most of these maybe guys we're talking about, I'm a little more willing to roll the dice if my ratios are already pretty high. Like if I'm already a little bit behind in those categories and the only way to really make up the ground is to get lucky in a two-star week <laughs> and have a guy come out and throw 10 or 12 innings of, of like two total runs or three runs allowed and, and maybe sneak in a win or two. You know, I think that's one way to get out of it. And I'm thinking mostly 15-team leagues for this group. I think you could make the case for Dakota Hudson in smaller leagues. I think the other two guys are definitely more difficult. Uh, I had John Gray in the maybe group. He's home against Arizona and home against Texas. I don't have John Gray anywhere, so it's not even really fair for me to analyze him. Like I haven't rostered him in any any season ever, I don't think. I two Colorado starts though against the D backs and the Rangers. Like do you actually roll him out there? I don't think so. Maybe this is what gets these two teams right. Two teams that are struggling offensively. One in Arizona that I at least thought was going to be a pretty good offensive team. Maybe uh, trips to Coors Field is what gets those bats right. I don't trust John Gray in these two starts. No way. The uh, nope category on the rundown includes Martin Perez. He's home against the Rays and on the road against the Yankees. Kyle Freeland, same matchup as Gray, home against the D-backs and home against the Rangers. Two matchups at Coors. Uh, Julio Tehran, home against Oakland, home against the Dodgers. Those are tough matchups anyway. Plus, Tehran only went two and two-thirds in his first start of the season, so he's not fully stretched out. So that's an easy pass for me. And then JT Brubaker at St. Louis, at Cincinnati. I'm not quite there either. I do think Brubaker might be the kind of guy we're streaming a little bit later in the season, though. So I just wanted to bring him up as a, a deep league watch list sort of player for the future. But if you're not quite there in a two-start week. We're talking about a pretty deep league in general. Uh, as far as streamers go, kind of wanted to open this up to be more of a which teams are clear targets. Now, we mentioned the Brewers a little bit earlier, maybe being a temporary streaming target with a couple of injuries they've been dealing with. Uh, you look at some teams that we expected to be in this position, the Pirates, who I mentioned earlier, the Tigers, an 87 WRC+, and the highest strikeout percentage in the league, 30.3%. So, we're absolutely seeking out pitchers against the Tigers. That has not changed at all this season. The two teams that you just mentioned, the Rangers and Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks started to wake up a little bit in that series against Houston, but for the season, an 82 WRC plus early on. I think the thing that maybe gives me some pause with Arizona, only a 19% K rate. You know, I think they are more of a league average sort of offense, and if they're going to get to that level and they're not going to strike out much, I think they can be a really difficult team to stream against even when they're struggling. Agree completely, and they're just like bizarrely not hitting for any power this year. Tell Marte has a 346 batting average and a 364 OBP, but just a 481 slug, which sounds decent enough. But not for him, though, after what we saw last year, and certainly not if he's got a 346 batting average. Starling Marte uh, is has a higher OBP, 479, than he does slugging percentage, 462. Eduardo Escobar off to a slow start. 167, 231, 271. Christian Walker hitting 311 with a 340 OBP, uh, but just a 467 slug, and he's still looking for his first homer of the season. Uh, the only guy on the team who has multiple homers is Cole Calhoun. David Peralta slugging worse than 400. Uh, those numbers are not going to hold for all of these guys. The power is eventually coming for this team. So I think this is just a lull, a slow start to the season. The sort of thing that in a normal 162 game season, it happens in the middle of June and you barely even notice it. But because it's not only this bizarre 60 game season, but that this is happening at the very start of this bizarre 60 game season, that it stands out to us. But I think Arizona's offense is going to be just fine. I am not streaming against them. 
Yeah, I think this is sort of the opposite side of what we're seeing from the Marlins. They're hot right now. It's actually I mean, it's kind of a good story, just given how terrible things look for this organization with so many players unavailable on the IL. They go in, they sweep the Orioles. They're hitting a little bit right now. But this is still a team that has a lot of flaws. Like Even when they get everybody back from the IL, they don't strike me as an offense that needs to be feared, even if they're not terrible. Uh, so I, I kind of look at them as the opposite of the Diamondbacks. I don't really see any reason to start avoiding matchups against them. I think they're more of a target than an avoid, even though they've been playing really well. Uh, the Royals striking out a little more than you'd expect at 23.2%, basically a tick below league average with a 97 WRC+. plus. They're kind of in the same boat as the Mariners, who strike out even more. I think the Mariners are a better streaming target than the Royals. I, I think I expect that to hold up throughout the season especially once you get past the first four or five hitters. I know we've seen Kyle Lewis get off to a pretty nice start. Kyle Seager is mashing. He's on the short list of players who I think we could see get traded at some point this season. Uh, and once that happens, especially you're taking out one of the best bats in the Seattle lineup, they're going to be even more of a stream target later on this season. Is there any other team that belongs in this group that you're constantly looking at? The Orioles are probably still near the top of that list. I don't see a lot of hitters there that I fear, but any other teams that are off to slow starts that you're kind of picking on right now? Yeah, you know who else I would put in this group? Uh, even though we talked about Dylan Carlson joining the Cardinals eventually, even when he's in there, I think the Cardinals are part of this. It's just an offense that had some obvious holes. And it's not just confirmation bias. I mean, we knew that this team was going to struggle offensively, or at least we had a pre had good reason to believe coming into the year that offense could be an issue for the Cardinals. And through their first five games, they haven't done anything that would suggest otherwise. So I think they're in this discussion. They could certainly prove otherwise. We'll see what happens in this weekend series against the Cubs. They are drawing John Lester on Friday, Alec Mills on Saturday, Kyle Hendricks on Sunday. It'll be interesting to see what they do against a, a Cubs starting pitching group that has pitched really, really well, but a relief uh, bullpen that has not pitched very well. It'll be interesting to see what they do against that team. Um, but uh, I think that for the time being, they have to be on our stream radar, and I wouldn't be surprised if I had to bet right now, do they stay on it? Do they come off it for the rest of the season? I bet this is a team we feel comfortable streaming against for the better part of the year. Yeah, I think you're, you're right to want to target them. Giants, of course, are still on this list as well. When you start looking for some guys who are matched up against these teams, there are a few more names that we're going to be thinking about picking up this weekend. I mean, I'm looking at the matchups that the Pirates have. They're going to see the Cardinals. We talked about Dakota Hudson as part of the two-start week, guys. Kwang Young Kim gets them in the second game of that series. I'm just a little worried he's not going to pitch that many innings, so I think he's probably uh, just below where I want to consider a streamer. Uh, Daniel Ponce de Leon, I think, is usable. The Pirates catch Anthony Descafani later in the week. If he's still available in some of the shallow mixed leagues out there, I'd absolutely comfortably throw him in that matchup. Uh, you look at the teams uh, like the Tigers, like who they're matching up with this week. They get the White Sox, so like Gio Gonzalez might actually be a streamer this week, which on again, off again, but I think <laughs> this is a matchup that just about anybody can take advantage of. And, and Gio Gonzalez, I think, gets a little bit of a bad rap. I think he's a better veteran pitcher than he gets credit for. The ERA and the whip are bloated right now. I had a rough start against the Brewers last time out. It was the first time that he actually got into the four, got through four innings in any of his first three starts. I think there's a shot he actually goes five and turns in a pretty nice start against the Tigers. So I think at least in a 15 team league, Gio is going to be one of those really cheap contingency bid type guys that I'm thinking about this weekend. 
Yeah, and for the time being, he's matched up with uh, Daniel Norris. So uh, you look at that righty-heavy le- uh, mat- uh, lineup excuse me, that the White Sox trot out there. That could be a very nice matchup for them, too. And so I think there's a little bit more uh, win upside with Gio Gonzalez in that matchup than you would maybe typically expect. So uh, it's another guy who I, I am with you on. I agree that he's a nice little target this Sunday. Can't really do much with the other matchup, though, because most of the Cleveland pitchers are heavily rostered. Savali, yes. Plezak, and Bieber <laughs> lining up for weekend yes. starts next weekend against the Tigers. So, uh, again, not much to squeeze out of them. Uh, I mentioned Randy Dobnik before. He's part of a two-start week against the Royals. Tyler Molly as well. The rest of their matchups, unless Jake Odorizzi was dropped with his injury, he'd be the only available streamer going up against Kansas City during the upcoming week. Some of the matchups for Seattle, they're going to see Jordan Lyles in the middle of the week. I think Lyles is out there in a decent number of leagues. What do you think about Framber Valdez? He's among the current uh, temporary replacement in the Houston rotation. I think my only reservation about using him against Seattle is that if Jose Urquidy is healthy, Urquidy might bump Framber Valdez from the rotation. They could bump Brandon Bielik if they decide that they like Valdez more than Bielik, but... I do think Valdez is one of those guys who's not necessarily guaranteed to stick in that rotation as they start getting guys back. Yeah, I would maybe throw a little bit at him just in case he does get to make that start against Seattle, but I'm not going all out here. As you said, he could easily get bumped before this start. He is certainly getting bumped after this start, and even if he does make this start, uh, could be a situation where we see the bullpen take over sooner rather than later. So worth a contingency bid, uh, and you'll be happy to trot him out there, certainly if he uh, is able to make the start against Seattle, but don't go too crazy for him because this could easily be his last start of the year for Houston, if he even makes it. Keep an eye on him over the course of the weekend before getting those bids in. I think he would be probably like ahead of Geo, though, even in terms of my my low-dollar streaming bids. You know, as long as it looks like he's going to make that start once we get to Sunday night, I trust him more. I think he can get deeper in the game. I think the White Sox are going to do kind of what the Brewers did with Geo, where the five-inning thing is almost a max. I don't think he's going ever into, like, the sixth inning. I just I think that's kind of the risky downside. That's why he's basically a $1 sort of bid. Uh, some guys going up against the Giants this weekend. Brandon Bielik, again, if he's still in that rotation once we get to the weekend, like that matchup quite a bit. Home against the Giants for his start, absolutely streamable. Everybody else that the Giants are going to see in the upcoming week, pretty much rostered everywhere with McCullers, Granke, Montes, Lazardo, and Manaya. Good luck with that uh, series of matchups, Giants. Fun, that is going to be Giants. absolutely brutal. Might get uh, some great uh, Grant Brisby columns out of it, though. I hope so. I really hope we do. Uh, against the Cardinals, you, you mentioned you were streaming against them. I didn't have Trevor Williams on my list of, of two-start pitchers. He goes up against Dakota Hudson in the first game on Monday, and then he has to pitch against the Reds with a matchup against Sonny Gray over the weekend. Is there some deep league appeal with Williams given the easier matchup against the Cardinals? I think two on the road is what kind of steered me away. I would love it if you could catch at least one of those teams at home. Yeah, um, Deep league appeal. Deep league appeal, I could see there being for the same reason uh, that we uh, talked about with, who was it that we said? Good start, can, uh, cancel, oh, Dakota Hudson, right? Mm-hmm. So we said Dakota Hudson uh, could get that uh, a lot of gains against Pittsburgh, and then uh, you feel like you're playing with house money when he makes that tough start against the White Sox for his second outing next week. I could see Trevor Williams being almost like Dakota Hudson light. Uh, the, the first start, not quite as good. The second start, maybe not quite as hard, but still a, a guy who we're thinking about more in deep leagues. And even in that deep league, I would be more comfortable if uh, I was dealing with already high ratios and had a little bit more leeway to take a risk. Yeah. So 
look at the Marlins real quick for their matchups. Uh, Ryu owned, Pearson owned. Bryce Wilson might be coming up for the Braves this weekend. I think mm-hmm. he's an interesting name. Uh, probably worth picking up because he'll be at Miami if he does join the rotation and stay on turn. So that's another one. It's not necessarily an add to the queue right now and forget about it, but put him on your list. Keep an eye on him because they have a need. They've lost a couple starters, and he might be the guy who basically gets tasked with replacing Mike Soroka. Uh, if you compare him to, say, like Tuki Toussaint, who might be available in a lot of leagues, I would have Tuki as more of a priority. Clearly the yeah. Braves trust Tuki more right, right. now. Nice nice Just strikeout start. Really nice start last time out against the Jays. The Jays have been struggling offensively, too. I guess, do they fit in this streaming conversation? They just seem like an offense that will wake up at some point and become one to steer away from with low-end starters. But are you at a point right now where you're actually comfortable throwing a mid-range or low-end starter against that Toronto lineup? I am. I mean, we we knew we, that this was going to be a boomer bust offense. We had a good reason to believe it would be coming into this season. Uh, those youngsters whom we all love and we think are going to be the core of a really good offense one of these days are still youngsters, are still guys who are getting used to major league pitching. Uh, Vlad Guerrero off to another slow start this year. Again, I have no concerns about his long-term career arc. But we shouldn't just expect these guys to come up and be Juan Soto or Ronald Acuna. There are very few Juan Sotos and Ronald Acunas. That's why they're Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna. Most guys, no matter how great they end up being, need a little bit of adjustment time. So I think that the Blue Jays are still a team that, again, maybe not aggressively streaming against, uh, but a team that you can feel good about throwing your starters against. Yeah, I think if you're looking a little bit down the road here, you're talking about you know, maybe uh, Brendan McKay in place of Yanni Chirinos. I know Yanni sure. just went on the 10-day the IL. IL, so he's probably not making that turn. So Brendan McKay might be the next option up for the Rays. We're still kind of waiting more details from them. Uh, the matchup that the Marlins have against the Jays is one that maybe you could pick up. Elazer Hernandez, who uh, was a two-start pitcher, I think, coming into this week. It was two weeks ago. The weeks are all blurring together. So he's he's a little higher owned right now than he would be otherwise. I like him more than Jordan Yamamoto. Those are the only two guys who are currently available who have those matchups. So Hernandez is definitely on the radar as a streamer for 15-team mixed leagues at deeper, maybe even an option in 12s if you're not really worried about the ratios at this point. All right, so we have our waiver episode coming up on Sunday. A lot changes between Friday morning and Sunday morning, as we've learned this season, so be sure to check that out. You can find Beller on Twitter, at mbeller. You can find me, at Derek Van Riper. And you can get a subscription to The Athletic at 40% off at theathletic.com slash podcast that gets you everything that we do for fantasy baseball, fantasy football. It gets you league-wide MLB coverage. It gets you coverage from the NBA bubble, the dual bubble system that the NHL is running, and... Of course, the start of the NFL season as well. Got lots of great coverage on the site. And EPL's coming back soon. We cover that. We cover the NWSL. Everything you could possibly want. All under one umbrella. Theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. For Michael Beller, I'm Derek Van Riper. Thanks for listening. We're back with you on Sunday.